On July 21, 1949, Ernest Hemingway turned 50 years old. Earlier in his life, he had referred to that date as being the day he would be halfway to 100. On that day, he plunged into a mania to cheat death. Other health issues arose by this time, which further contributed to his mania. On February 1949, while in Venice, Italy, he developed a serious skin infection, erysipelas, which caused his face to swell up and turn a deep and intense shade of red. Erysipelas on the face can sometimes spread into the eye, which it did in his case. It was attributed to a scratch on the eye from road dust or wadded remnants of a shotgun shell. From the eye, it can travel to the brain, and because of this, it is a serious disease, often leading to blood poisoning. Now, Ernest was hospitalized in Padua for 10 days and was treated for blood poisoning and received massive doses of penicillin. He was not exaggerating when he later stated that his life had been in danger. He had participated in three wars, once as a soldier, twice as a war correspondent which along with a tumultuous life with the leaning toward the more dramatic, he had experienced numerous concussions. The consequences of these concussions were, by age 50, becoming apparent. They were the cause of deep depressions, mania, and at times delusions and paranoia. His being a heavy drinker didn't help matters either. He was 50, but looked closer to 70. Living a tough life had weathered his body and skin like it had his mind. Nevertheless, he still had in him what would be considered to be his greatest novel. Welcome to House of Words, a podcast about writers, the fearless, and legends. I am your host, Jason Nemoore Hardin, and today we are taking a deep look into the last book Ernest Hemingway published during his lifetime, The Old Man and the Sea. You must be prepared to work always without applause. When you are excited about something is when the first draft is done, but no one can see it until you have gone over it again and again until you have communicated the emotion, the sights and the sounds to the reader. And by the time you have completed this, the words sometimes will not make sense to you as you read them. So many times you have reread them. By the time the book comes out, you will have started something else and it is all behind you, and you do not want to hear about it." End quote. Ernest Miller Hemingway was born in Oak Park, Illinois in 1899. His father, who would eventually commit suicide when Ernest was 29 years old, would often take his son hunting and fishing during his childhood, introducing a love for the outdoors that would last his lifetime. His mother, a musician, taught him to play cello, despite his reluctance to learn. Later, he would state that, though he didn't enjoy learning to play music, he felt that the lessons contributed to the rhythm of his writing. It was during his last two years of high school when he began to take writing more seriously by editing the school newspaper and yearbook, where he would imitate the language of sports writers nonetheless. His professional writing career began with the Kansas City Star in 1917, 
where he started as a journalist after leaving high school. Though he was there for only six months, he later stated that the style he learned while there would act as a foundation for his later writing. In short, the rules of writing for the star were use short sentences, use short first paragraphs, use vigorous English, be positive, not negative. During the First World War, Hemingway volunteered as an ambulance driver on the Italian front after being rejected by the army for bad eyesight. His stint in Italy would not last long, however, as merely a month after he arrived, he was seriously wounded while serving with the infantry and returned home. Though brief, his service during the war had a profound impact on him, and he would often write about it during the rest of his life. In 1921, Hemingway settled in Paris, France, where he became part of the expatriate circle of Gertrude Stein, F. Scott Fitzgerald, Ezra Pound, and Ford Maddox Ford. With the publication of The Sun Also Rises in 1926, Ernest Hemingway became not only the voice of the lost generation, but the preeminent writer of his time. This was followed by his novel about the Italian front, A Farewell to Arms, which was published in 1929. In the 1930s, Hemingway would make the move back west, settling first in Key West and later in Cuba, but continued to travel widely to Spain, Italy, and Africa. He later reported on the Spanish Civil War, which became the background for his war novel, For Whom the Bell Tolls, published in 1940. Then it took ten years to publish his next novel, Across the River and Into the Trees, which would change the trajectory of his career. Concerning his writing routine, Ernest would most often compose the first draft of stories in pencil on onion skin typewriter paper. When the work was going well, he would move over to the typewriter, which he had on a high bookshelf, meaning he would write while standing. He would say once that writing and travel broaden your ass, if not your mind, and I like to write standing up. When working on a book or a story, he would write every morning as soon after first light as possible. He liked the fact that there was no one to disturb him and it was cool or even cold then. His body would warm up as he wrote. He would always read what he'd written the day before and would stop when he knew what was going to happen and where he wanted to go from that point on, while the excitement was still fresh in his mind. He would often start around 6 a.m. and write until noon, or slightly before that, until he'd reached that sweet spot where he wanted to write more, but at the same time felt a good sense of emptiness in him. An empty that would never truly empty, but needed time to fill up again. He'd compare the feeling to like when you've made love to someone you loved, and it was that wait until the next day that was the most difficult part. He would also track his daily word output on a chart, so as not to kid himself. He always wanted to know if it had been a good writing day or not. And when the writing wasn't going well, he would put it aside and focus on writing letters instead, which gave him a welcome break from fiction while keeping him in the desired state of mind. Then, by 1949, he had six books under his belt, in addition to story collections and other works, but was feeling the consequences of the experiences that had inspired his prior works. As mentioned earlier, 
Hemingway's 50th birthday sparked a mania that wouldn't diminish and would be prevalent during the writing of The Old Man and the Sea. From 1949 and for the next few years, he told enormous lies, spent outrageous amounts of money, got into terrible fights, and displayed incredible egotism and delusions of grandeur. His moods fluctuated wildly and were commented on by almost everyone who knew him. Somehow, he always seemed to have an inexhaustible supply of energy that fueled all sorts of complicated schemes and projects. By the time those around him were able to tell that something was wrong, his mania was full-blown and there was no reasoning with him. It is not clear, however, how he would have responded if someone had intervened earlier. And the idea of psychiatry was not something explored until the last year of his life, which, when it was, was arguably much too late. Now, the novel he completed before The Old Man and the Sea, which was Across the River and Into the Trees, was published in September of 1950. Hemingway had written in a letter that despite being 50 years old, he felt that he was writing like when he was in his 20s. It had taken him 10 years and he was immensely proud of Across the River. Unfortunately, despite becoming a bestseller, it was not the great American novel that it had been hyped up to be, and it was met with the worst reviews of his career. A few critics even called to question his entire career. In some of the harshest reviews, he was even written off as a has-been. All this a deep shock for the already depressive Hemingway, he plunged deeper into his mania as well as continued to hit the bottle. Suicidal feelings would evolve and strengthen along with his mania. In addition to this, his marriage wasn't going well, his writing wasn't working, and he overall wasn't well. While drinking with friends, he would morbidly demonstrate how he would be able to shoot himself with a shotgun if he so decided. He would place his big toe on the trigger while placing the barrel of a shotgun in his mouth, and with his friends looking on, he would pull the trigger and the weapon would click. Empty. He would then remove the barrel from his mouth, revealing a wide, crazed grin. Fortunately, things would soon improve as shortly after Christmas of 1950, Ernest began on a piece he had partially begun 15 years earlier. It was a story that he had heard about an old man who, over a period of four days and nights, battled and finally managed to kill an enormous marlin from a mere skiff. The old man tied the dead fish to his boat, but sharks ate the carcass before he could get it to shore. Now, he first wrote the story in a nonfiction article for Esquire titled On the Blue Water in April 1936. For his book, however, he would write it as a fictional account. Written in an exceedingly simple and terse prose, Initially as a coda for what he referred to as the sea novel, he hoped the book would become his next great novel. When Charlie and Vera Scribner of Scribner Publishing, his publishing house, visited later that spring, Charlie read a draft of The Old Man and the Sea and told Hemingway, somewhat noncommittally, that it was very interesting. Even more than his earlier work, The Old Man of the Sea was a story suffused with the presence of death. Now, the same can be said for its predecessor, Across the River. One of the reasons for this, one can surmise, was the several deaths of people who had played a large role in his life, and which were also a reminder of his own mortality. 
Then in June of 1951, a few months before the publication of The Old Man and the Sea, he learned of yet another important death, the death of his mother. He wrote to a friend, I have been thinking how beautiful she was when she was young, before everything went to hell in our family and about how happy we all were as children before it all broke up. For Ernest, it was a difficult relationship. One example of this was his reaction upon receiving a letter from her around the time of his 50th birthday, where he reacted by unleashing a torrent of abuse in letters to others. He would tell that he hated his mother's guts as she did hate his. Aside from exaggerations brought on by the mania he experienced upon turning 50, it does seem that this statement was at least partly true. A woman brought up in the Victorian age, his mother showed no loving feelings toward her adult son. In fact, she often expressed her resentment openly. In the 1940s, she tried more than once to sell her copies of the high school newspaper and a literary magazine that contained her son's early writing. Hemingway must have realized upon her death that he would never be able to reconcile the feelings that he struggled with concerning her. Quote, you have always written before, and you will write now. All you have to do is write one true sentence. Write the truest sentence that you know. End quote. Ernest had been holding on to the manuscript of The Old Man of the Sea, intending to use it as a wrap-up to his sea novel. But... As the manuscript kept growing and kept growing more unruly, he began to look at the story of the Cuban fisherman as a standalone piece of work, a novel, or story. He wasn't sure which, however. Another factor of encouragement to publish the novel as a standalone was that he wanted to prove to the critics that he was not done as a writer and that he was not one that could be written off so easily. Furthermore, he wanted to prove that he could write about something else other than himself and his own experiences, as the critics had stated upon the release of Across the River into the Trees. In a letter to Charlie and Vera Scribner, he wrote concerning the novel, It could even serve as an epilogue to all my writing, and what I have learned and have tried to learn while writing and trying to live. The Old Man and the Sea appeared in Life magazine on September 1st, with copies for sale on August 28th, as a Scribner's book on September 8th, and as a Book of the Month Club dual selection on September 9th. Incredibly enough, the novel was a success in all three formats. Life, for instance, sold 5,300,000 copies in just two days. The book appeared on the bestseller list and stayed there for 26 weeks. The general conclusion, however, was that magazine publication hurt book sales in the end, just because the sheer number of readers who read the story in life was far larger than Scribner's sales, numbers representing potential buyers of the book. If 1950 saw the publication of a book that nearly all the critics hated, Across the River and Into the Trees, 1952 was the stark opposite with The Old Man and the Sea, which was nearly unanimously hailed. It was the book he had written the fastest of all his novels, the principal writing taking only eight weeks, and it would become the one most acclaimed. 
No phony glamour girls and no bullying braggarts sentimentalized almost to parody, the New York Times reviewer wrote, nearly exasperated with relief. Here is the master technician once more at the top of his form, doing superbly what he can do better than anyone else. In an interview with George Plimpton, Hemingway stated his pride in what he considered to be the so-called simplistic and economical style of the novel. The Old Man in the Sea could have been over a thousand pages long and had every character in the village in it and all the processes of the way they made their living, were born, educated, bore children, etc. That is done excellently and well by the writers. In writing, you are limited by what has already been done satisfactorily. So, I have tried to learn to do something else. First, I have tried to eliminate everything unnecessary to conveying experience to the reader so that after he or she has read something, it will become part of his or her experience and seem actually to have happened. This is very hard to do, and I've worked at it very hard. Anyway, to skip how it is done, I had unbelievable luck this time and could convey the experience completely and have it be one that no one had ever conveyed. The luck was that I had a good man and a good boy, and lately writers have forgotten there still are such things. The ocean is worth writing about, just as a man is, so I was lucky there. I've seen the Marlin mate and know about that, so I leave that out. I've seen a school or a pod of more than 50 sperm whales in that same stretch of water, and once harpooned one nearly six feet in length and lost him, so I left that out. But the knowledge is what makes the underwater part of the iceberg. Reviewers noticed that the hero of the fable, Santiago, was in some ways an autobiographical portrait. The similarities between Santiago and Hemingway were numerous, so a comparison was not far-fetched. Hemingway, however, did not take this to be something positive as it was precisely what he had hoped to avoid. In fact, as he mentioned, he had hoped that the publication of the book would destroy the school of criticism that claims I can write about nothing except myself and my own experiences. But the similarities were very many. For instance, Santiago had been 84 days without a fish, just as Hemingway had weathered a streak of bad luck. Joe DiMaggio, the baseball player who was a symbolic touchstone in the book, was like Santiago and Hemingway, a champion who'd staged a comeback. One reviewer wrote that it's a tale superbly told, and in the telling, Ernest Hemingway uses all the craft his disciplined trying over so many years has given him. A lot of people made a lot of money from the book and would continue to do so as it gained more and more recognition. Robert Trogdon has determined that Hemingway might have made about $137,000 from Life, Scribner's, and the Book of the Month Club combined. He then sold the film rights to Leland Hayward for about $150,000. The amount included a fee for his service as a consultant on fishing. In total... This amounted to what is today approximately $3 million. The novel's success made Hemingway a little less hostile towards critics. Nevertheless, a deep, joyless cynicism set in. With his manic phase mostly over, he seemed to slide somehow into a deeper depression, or more accurately, a mixed state of depression with manic features. 
By the time The Old Man and the Sea was published, Hemingway, then 53, was no longer moving his writing forward, but was engaged in a kind of holding pattern. He was not working on anything he deemed publishable in the near future, also nothing he wanted to be published before after his death. Ernest Hemingway would not publish another novel in his lifetime. Attempting to enjoy life with travel and hunting, he would suffer more concussions, survive two airplane crashes within the span of a few days on a trip to Africa, and continue to drink more heavily. On the evening of October 28, 1954, while in Cuba, he received a call from a reporter from United Press International. Hemingway was informed that he had won what he referred to as the Swedish thing, this being the Nobel Prize for Literature. Now, his health did not permit him to attend the ceremony in Stockholm, nor even travel to the Swedish embassy in Washington to accept the prize. He did find it very uplifting to instead have the Swedish ambassador come to visit him in Cuba. Privately, however, Hemingway believed that no one who ever won the Nobel Prize went on to write anything worth reading afterwards. Himself would unknowingly be included on that list. The publication of The Old Man and the Sea would act as the beginning of the end for Ernest Hemingway, the man. The legend, however, would continue to gain steam for the next decades to come and arguably continues still to this day. Now, he had mentioned suicide since his late teens, even before the suicide of his father, and would ultimately end his life through the same method as his father. At 61 years of age, on the morning of July 2nd, 1961, he placed both barrels of a shotgun, as he had often teased in front of friends, and pulled the trigger. Finally, let me leave you a quote from the man amongst men, Ernest Hemingway. There is nothing noble in being superior to your fellow men. True nobility lies in being superior to your former self. End quote. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode and will spread the word about the podcast. Once again, I have been your host, Jason and Moore Harden. We at House of Words would like to remind you about our recently formed YouTube page and urge you to please go over and kindly subscribe and help spread the word in an attempt to grow our community of literature lovers. And please do continue to consider helping to make this show easier to produce and more frequent by contributing on our Patreon page at patreon.com slash houseofwords or alternatively at paypal.me House of Words Podcast. Any amount helps more than you think as we strive to continue and improve what we offer. Until next time, keep turning those pages. House of Words is written and produced by Cristo M. Sanchez. Narrated and edited by me, Jason Nemore Harden, and music by Creature Nine and Wood. All rights and ownership belong to Cristo M. Sanchez and Jason Nemore Harden. <laughs>